What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here on me on the other end of the line back this week is my co-host, Curtis. Uh, and today on the show, guys, we are turning our focus to the recruiting front. Uh, with the team yet to start bowl practices, that's going to start here in a couple of days. Uh, recruiting has now taken center stage and will hold that position likely for the next week and a half or so until we hit the first day of the early signing period, which is uh, t- uh, December 19th. Is that right, Kurt? Am I saying that right? I think it's December 19th. Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, which is next Wednesday for those of you wondering. Uh, now, the early signing period, technically, it does run from the 19th to the 21st, but the vast majority of those prospects, if you think back to what happened last year, they plan to sign during – that plan assigned during that period, they're going to do so on the 19th. There might be a few guys here that filter in the 20th or 21st, but most of them are going to be on the 19th, most of those big names. There are a couple of guys that are going to be early enrollees that are going to wait to announce um, their choice uh, on the uh, whether it's the Under Armour All-American or the Army All-American game. So a couple guys you might be waiting for, but most of them that are enrolling early will be signing on that early day, uh, be on the 19th. Uh, and yet again, you guys, you've been, I'm sure you all know this, Kirby Smart Company, have us in position to make a legit run at the number one class in the country. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's a very real possibility that we do repeat with that number one class. Not ready to say it completely yet, but it's looking more and more like a real possibility. Uh, Right now, Alabama is the one we've got to unseat. They currently sit, uh, if you're looking at the 247 composite rating, which is is what I like to look at because it takes into account all the different recruiting services out there and kind of averages them out. Uh, according to the 247 composite, Alabama currently sits at number one with 304.52 points, very specific there, while we are number two with 287.7 points. But the thing is, while they're at 304 and we're at 287, they already have 24 commits on board while we only have 19. So that really, they're above us right now. They're ranked higher than us because they just simply have more prospects. It's a numbers thing right now. Uh, and there's, so there's just simply more room for movement for us right now. It depends on who we land down the down the stretch here. Now, could Bama process some of their low-rated guys and replace them with high-rated prospects and kind of pump that score up? That could happen, right, Kurt? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's and that's knowing Nick. Uh, he's like the 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 originator of that philosophy, right? Uh, yeah. And now we've jumped on board and we've done that too the past couple of classes. But it's, it's a very real possibility. So there's a lot left to play out here. But right now. We have, according to the 247 composite, we have four five-star prospects committed and have a real chance, a real chance, to push that total to seven or maybe even eight. An outside chance, but maybe even eight with some of the names that we are battling for right now. Guys like Trey Sanders, who was here on an official visit last weekend, Nicobe Dean, Jaden Hazelwood, who will be back for an official visit this weekend, Darnell Wright, uh, just just a couple of guys there. There's, there's plenty of others. Uh, now, if we, if we did land seven uh, five-stars, that would tie our total from last year, according to the 247 composite, while eight would obviously then surpass it. So, uh, man, rarefied air, guys. I mean, these are these are good times for the Georgia Bulldogs on the recruiting front, and really just in general uh, in our football program. So we will get into all of that here in just a minute. Got a lot to talk about on the recruiting front. But first, we do want to thank everyone out there for listening to the show today and really staying with us and listening to the show throughout the entire 2018 season. We also want to remind you that if you do enjoy the show and you haven't already done so and you want more of our content, you can subscribe to our premium content on Podbean for only $2 a month. You can get a free week to try it out. Uh, but during the offseason, like, we don't just quit during the offseason, guys. We're going to continue to give you uh, your Georgia sports fix by covering recruiting, 
uh, like we are today. Hoops, uh, baseball, tennis even. I, I don't know. I know tennis is not as big on the radar as other things, but I lo- we love Georgia tennis, so we'll be talking some Georgia tennis throughout the offseason. And, of course, we never stop covering football. That's just a given. Uh, so to access that premium content, you just go to Podbean, search for Glory UGA Podcast, or it might be easier just to go to our Twitter page. It's at Glory underscore UGA. Click on the profile link there. Take you straight to our Podbean page. You can click on the little yellow Buy Now button, type in your information, boom, you're good to go in just a minute or two. Uh, again, only $2 a month get access to all of our content throughout the entire year. But uh, all right, Kurt, let's go ahead, man. And we got a lot to talk about, so let's get to it and start talking some recruiting. Uh, I do want to say this, though, before we get too deep into this. Uh, I want to offer a disclaimer and kind of give credit where credit is due. Uh, Curtis, I, I don't want to speak for you, man, but I think you probably agree with me here that you and I are not necessarily what I would call recruiting insiders. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, like, like, and I, we've said this before, but we, we've had a lot of new listeners jump on board here throughout the season, so I just want to put this out there again for everybody when we're talking about recruiting. Curtis and I do not call prospects. We do not interview prospects. We do not develop sources when the high schools around the state and things of that sort. That is not our job. Uh, we've got other things we got to do. We don't get time for that. Um, and nor that I really have a stomach for that. That's not my thing. Uh, that is just not what we do. Uh, there are people who do that for a living, and they do a great job. Um, those guys work at, work for the various recruiting services, the, and I'll throw some names out there. There's a bunch of them. The guys like Trent Smallwood, Jake Reuse, Rusty Manziel, Kip Adams, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of names out there. So when Curtis and I are talking about our opinions on where a prospect might commit and our chances of landing this guy or that guy, we are using information that largely comes from those sources. Uh, we basically gather information from all those different sources, read all that stuff, keep up with it diligently throughout the year, and kind of synthesize all of it, read between the lines, and kind of come to our very own unscientific conclusions when it comes to that aspect of recruiting, like where are guys going to go. Uh, now, Kurt and I, like, we do know a few people in and around the program that we can pump for information like every now and then. Uh, but again, like I'm not trying to sit here and say that we are recruiting beat writers or major insiders or anything like that. Uh, you know, if you want great info on where Prospect is going, I would seriously encourage you to subscribe to one of those or maybe multiple of those sites. Uh, I like to have access to a bunch of different sites that there, uh, so that we can get information from different people, different sources, and kind of piece it all together. Uh, but you know, I just again, I just don't want to pretend to be anything that we aren't. Now, where I am far more confident in my abilities and where Curtis and I can provide some more original insight is in our evaluations of these prospects. That's really what I focus on. Um, on top of watching their tape, you know, Kurt and I, we go to a number of camps every summer, whether it's the 7-on-7 camps here in Athens, uh, the Kirby Smart camp, if you can sneak in, uh, the uh, not, the opening regionals, all you get a chance to go to, they usually have them in Buford, somewhere around that area, the Corky Kell 7-on-7 tournament. Uh, we go to a lot of those each spring and summer, basically out of just interest and curiosity. Uh, and why not? You get to watch some high-level prospects play some football. And uh, we, we do get to see a lot of those top prospects in the Southeast up close and personal. So, yeah, just kind of wanted to put that out there. Evaluations, that's where you know, you're going to hear a lot of our original thoughts and what we've seen, whereas some of the uh, where, where a guy might be going, that's largely based on uh, things that we've read from different sources. We're not calling prospects. I and, mean, again, just don't want like, anyone to think that that's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to pretend we're – Something that we're not, because that's just not what we're doing. But uh, anyway, with that out of the way, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into this, man. Uh, let's start with today's Monday. We're recording this 4.51 p.m. on a Monday afternoon. And let's start with Monday's big commitment from offensive lineman, really probably a center, maybe a guard prospect, an interior offensive line prospect in Clay Webb, the number one prospect in the state of Alabama 
also the number one center prospect and a five-star prospect, ranked 22nd nationally by the 247 composite rings. So, Chris, by any measure, this was a huge pickup. But what's your general reaction to landing Clay Webb? Um, I think it's huge on multiple fronts. You know, we mentioned that he is, you know, the number one player in the state of Alabama. And for a long period of time, if you were, you know, one of the top players in Alabama, you weren't leaving the state. I, so I, I think I saw a stat. And look, I didn't do this research in my office. I forget where I saw this. But somewhere I saw that it was the only the third time in Nick Saban's 12 years uh, as the coach of Alabama that the number one prospect has gotten out of state from that state. I think it was Jameis Winston was the first one. He went to Florida State, obviously. And then last year, Justin Ross went to Clemson. So three times in twelve years—that's a pretty tough job, right? Exactly, and I mean, and that, and that in its own category makes it, or its own right, makes it that much more difficult. And I think the fact that we went in there in a position of need for them—I mean, the offensive line is always a position where you can never have enough. Absolutely, and and they've, they've had these dominant offensive lines for so long. Uh, and when you start taking some of those guys that they're counting on having in their program, maybe that can start to chip away at their armor a little bit. Um, exactly. And then I think it was huge just on the front of just of how good of a player he is. What do you think of him as a part of like, is, cause some of these guys, Offensive line, I will say, is one of the toughest positions to truly project because a lot of times it's just like, depends on depending on the caliber of uh, opposition that you're playing or the level of opposition – you can sometimes just get away with just sheer manpower and just you're bigger and stronger and you just throw people around. Is that the case with Clay Webb, or is this guy more of a technician that can really kind of come in and compete for a starting job right away next year? I think he is a technician. I don't think he's one of these that just rely. I think he is very fundamental, does it all the right way. And I think, you know, if I had to, you know, compare him to someone, I'd say he's probably a more athletic, uh, better skilled Ben Jones. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. I, I like that. I mean, a true center prospect, a guy that can play guard if we need to. Um, here's my thing with Webb. He's a guy, I'm going to be honest with you guys, if there's a guy that I haven't seen a lot of, I'll tell you. Uh, there's some guys I've seen a lot more than others. Webb is a guy that I've not seen a ton of. I've really, I haven't seen him uh, live at all. His tape uh, online is very hard to find. I couldn't find anything beyond like his sophomore year, really. Because um, he's a guy that's just very, very quiet, doesn't like to play the recruiting game, doesn't like to publicize himself, unless it's played to his talk, and there's just not a ton out there. What I did see of him, uh, I think you're right, are athletic guys, got some good techni- uh, technical ability to his game. I can see the kind of Ben Jones comparison there for sure. One thing that I will say that makes me very hopeful, because again, I don't like, it's hard for me to have a strong opinion on, like, is he truly as good as they say he is? I haven't seen it that much of him, which will be real with you guys. But one thing that I do, uh, take some solace in is the fact that he is an elite he comes from an elite wrestling background um and and i I bring that up because to me if you at that size at 290 plus pounds um and you are an elite wrestler he's won state championships as a wrestler guys that i i take a lot of comfort in because to me that shows you that having that background that you have that you have the power you have toughness you have flexibility which is such an underrated aspect for offensive linemen, he doesn't have that. He's not stiff. You don't have that kind of. Uh, you don't have that that concern at all. He's got power. He's got toughness. That gives me a little bit of comfort. And you see a lot of these guys come out of high school as wrestlers that are kind of just nasty and they go in there and they do a really good job on the offensive line. So I, I know that's not really a scientific thing. It's, wrestling doesn't always. Uh, directly compared to football, obviously, but I do think there are some things that you can take from your wrestling background that can really help you in football as well. Um, but I mean, Kurt, like it's clear, man, we are building a monster on the offensive line, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the by my calculation, according to the two four seven composite, that's the fifth five star that we have landed on the offensive line in the last four cycles. 
Um, and I went back and I did this math. So if somebody wants to go back and double check me, that's fine. Uh, I went back and looked at it. This is based on the 247 composite, guys. Um, I went back and checked previously these last four cycles since Kirby Smart and Sam Pittman have been on the job. We've had exactly one five-star offensive lineman in the entire tenure of our previous head coaching staff. One, and that was John Theus. I mean, I thought Trent Sternman might have had an outside shot. I couldn't quite remember. No, he was a four-star, high four-star, but he was a four-star. Again, guys, we got five, five stars in the last four cycles, and we might not be done yet in this cycle with five-star offensive linemen. We'll see. Uh, but again, one in the tenure of Mark Rick before that. Is that not insane, Kurt? It really is. It just shows that the level that these guys are going at. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and what can you say about Sam Pitt? Like, we, I feel like we're always giving him applause at how good of a job he does as a, as a recruiter, as a guy developing talent, but he just never stops, does he? No, he doesn't. I think the best thing about him is, he, you know, some of these coaches, Kirby has to ride to keep going and everything, but to me, he's one of these guys that gets full autonomy because we just have full faith in him. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's crazy. And you feel comfortable with him because he's not – he doesn't want an OC job. He's comfortable with what he's doing. Yeah, and just reading some of the, the quotes about Pittman and how he was so instrumental landing Clay Webb, because he seems to be the difference. I mean, that's what his, that's what Webb's mom said today. Uh, I was reading an article on 247, and they were interviewing his mother, and she said, yeah, I mean, there's so many good coaches. I knew it was going to be really hard, but really uh, when it came down to it, it was just Sam Pittman. Like he, Clay wants to be the best offensive lineman. He thinks Sam can get him there. He loves Sam Pittman. And I, um, I read an interview with Webb uh, uh, maybe a week or so ago, and he was essentially just talking about how much he loves the guy and how he's just so so similar to him and he's just unique. He doesn't talk about football, so just building a relationship. And in Pittman's, you know, his his uh, recruiting prowess has been legendary here over the past couple of years. And Kirby's even talked about how he uh, he goes old school. He writes these personal letters to guys instead of just hitting them up on DM and all that kind of stuff. So it really resonates. Whatever he does is resonating. And Jesus Christ, we cannot lose this guy. Like I, so I, I would pay him $5 million a year to keep him. Like I, I make him almost. I give him almost what Kirby gets because having offensive linemen. I mean, obviously, I won't pay him that much, but I'd pay him a lot more than what he's getting paid right now. And that's another thing too. I, I talked about this a little bit last week. Like people talk about getting rid of Jim Cheney sometimes, you know. But Cheney and Pittman are tight. Like one of the reasons we have St. Pittman is because Jim Cheney came here. If you get rid of Jim Cheney, uh, I mean, Pittman might go. So let's just keep that in mind when people talk about getting rid of Jim Cheney because Sam Pittman is a baller and this is a guy that we've got to keep. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I also want to say real quick here about Clay Webb before we move on. Uh, another th- aspect of this guy as a prospect that really gives me confidence that he's going to be a good player for us is that he, from all accounts, is just a fantastic young man. Um, I remember reading just a couple of weeks ago when he came out here for an unofficial visit. Uh, I was reading this article, uh, but basically we're saying that he, if there's a school that he wasn't really like strongly considering but they wanted him to visit, and they were offering to send him up on an official visit, I should say he wasn't considering, but they maybe weren't in his top group. He would not allow them. Like, it was crazy. He would not allow them to basically pay for his stuff on the visit. He would just do an unofficial visit because he didn't think it was right for these coaches to have to pay all this money and spend all this time on him when uh, when he ultimately might end up not choosing them, which is just – it just speaks a lot to the character of this guy. Uh, everything I've heard about him is just, just a great young man. Uh, his coach talking about – I've read something about his coach essentially saying that he has – I mean, his mom said his cell phone broke like six, seven months ago. And his coach was like, yeah, I never seen my cell phone. He's just not that kind of guy. He just goes out and works and gets the job done. So I'm really, really excited about him. Um, and it's just great to steal one from Bama, man. It's definitely great to steal one from the guy, from those guys when it's the guy that they want. 
Uh, but all right, uh, next what I want to do is take a look at our biggest remaining targets and create a top five wish list and also discuss our chances of landing each of these guys. Um, we're going to kind of limit this to a couple of names that we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on N'Kobe Dean, Jaden Hazelwood, Trey Sanders, Tyreek Stevenson, Darnell Wright, off the tackle from West Virginia, Trevor Keegan, Noah Kane, uh, Kyer Elam, and Evan Neal, who is an offensive lineman who was here on an official visit last weekend. Now, there may well be some names that we are recruiting behind the scenes. That is not public knowledge. I mean, I would certainly not doubt that for a second. But those are the biggest names that we are heavily involved with right now and also have a legitimate shot to land. So, Kurt, that's nine names there, some big names for most of you guys out there. Have uh, have heard those names mentioned. Where do you start your wish list off at with number five? Who starts it off for you? Um, with number five, I go with Tyreek Stevenson. I, that's exactly who I have on mine at number five. No, what? Okay, so Tyreek Stevenson breaks into your top five. What puts him ahead of other guys like maybe a Kyrie Elam's guys like that? I think his versatility. I think that's the biggest reason I go with him. Um, you know, uh, I mean, he could, he could, he's probably a cornerback for you, but I think he's also one that can roll back into one of the safety positions if you need it. Where I think uh, Elam is just a straight up safety with no versatility at going to corner. You don't think Elam can play corner? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think, think he could. I don't think he'd do it as could, seamlessly as Stevenson, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the biggest thing. I think Stevenson could handle it, and you wouldn't lose a step, or, you know, or take a step back. They're both really good prospects. Uh. I really like him. I really do. I'm not going to say I don't think he's a good player. And if we don't get him, he'll probably end up at Florida, which sucks because he's good. Uh, but Stevenson's superior, right? I mean, he's just the better all-around prospect. I mean, Elam's really good, but Stevenson is just a better prospect right now. Um, he broke into my top five. I have a couple of guys here. Um, because, number one, I think this is a position of need coming into next year. Yes, we have uh, Eric Stokes, who really kind of broke in the starting lineup the last couple of weeks, played really, really well. You've got Tyson Campbell, who started the vast majority of the year and did some really good things. He's got some things to clean up and work on from a technical standpoint, which I feel confident he's going to do because he has the skill set to do it. It's just a matter of becoming more comfortable in that position. We've got to remember, he was a true freshman last year, guys, a true freshman uh, who came in in the summertime. So uh, you got to remember that. Uh, but we're going, to ha- we're going to have a void there with DeAndre Baker, are we not? We are a huge void. That's a huge void, and I, and I think – that a guy like Campbell can 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 really fill that void, but I don't know if he, next year he'll be ready to fill that void to the level DeAndre Baker filled it this year. So there's going to be a, th- that spot's going to be open. Now we have some guys that are on campus right now like Campbell, like Amir Speed, whoever it might be, who are going to be competing for that job. But Stevenson, I think, is going to have to come in right away and and really push that spot. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but he's good enough to push that spot. And regardless, we need depth in that position. We're not just depth. We need quality depth at that position. So I think it's just a position of need. There's going to be one of those positions. Positions will be open. Have a a a, a Jim Thorpe winning uh, player moving on to the NFL. So really, by virtue of that, that's why I have Stevenson in my top three here, or my top five. Um, and he's a great prospect too. He's number 38 nationally, just outside a five-star prospect range. He's always pushing close to 6'1", about 200 pounds, so good size, good length, great speed, great athleticism, good ball skills that he's flashed on uh, on tape. So I think he's the guy that you mentioned has some versatility, which is exactly what Kirby and company want. We, we're all about versatility, guys that can cross-train, play safety, play corner, play star if necessary. And I think Stevenson certainly fits that bill. Uh, now, Kurt, now the next part of this we're going to do with these prospects, I know this will be a little weird. And again, this is where, and, and so those evaluations, that's where Curtis and I kind of give you our original ideas. Uh, where uh, That's just our thoughts on it. Now, we're talking about 
our chance to land a guy, that's us taking information from various sources, kind of putting that together, kind of blending it, synthesizing it, and giving you guys our take on what we think and what we're hearing. Uh, so, Kurt, I'm going to do this on a scale of one to four. One being like you think we have no, like very, very, very slim chance to land him. Four being like you feel like 99% sure we're going to land him. And then two being like, okay, yeah, I, I, we have a shot, but I lean more towards us not getting him. And three being like, you know what, I'm not saying it's a done deal, but I feel pretty good about laying this guy. What is your feeling on Tyreek Stevens on that range of one to four? I have to go with a three, and I think the biggest reason is, yeah, we lost Mel Tucker, but he wasn't his main recruiter. As long as we kept Coley, we were going to stay in on it. So that's why I go with a three. Yeah, I have him at a three as well. Um, losing Mel Tucker, you know, honestly, when we lost Mel, my first thought was, okay, wow, Mel's good. He's a good recruiter. And then I immediately went to guys like Tyreek Stevenson and Kyrie Elam, guys that were high on that are they're very high on us, and here we are towards the end of the recruiting cycle. And losing coaches happens. It happens when they move up in the world. I mean, it's just part of being good at at football, it's just it, when your program is good, this is what happens. Your coaches become uh, very hot commodities. Uh, but you're right. I, I, losing Mel is not a great thing, but I love the way that Kirby approaches recruiting with our staff in that he doesn't have just like one coach specialized on a guy. Like, sure, there's always a lead recruiter, but he does a great job of involving multiple coaches with all these different recruits so that if one guy does leave, one coach does leave, you're kind of insulated from from him leaving, because let's say if it was only Mel Tucker recruiting him, then he leaves, like, oh, God, we're screwed. But, no, we've had multiple guys in there. Coley, right, Coley's right from South Florida. Uh, he really is heavily involved in in that part of the country, in that region. Kirby, as a, as a guy with some defensive back, uh, uh, background as a coach, he's heavily involved. So I'm not too worried about that. I think that we recruit in a way kind of insulates us from losing a, a coach like Mel Tucker. So I'm with you, man. I got a three here. I don't think it's a done deal. Uh, but I do feel pretty strong about our, our opportunity to land him here uh, in about a week and a half. Uh, all right, who do you got coming in at number four? On number four, I come in with um, Darnell Wright. Okay, all right. I got Darnell Wright much higher on my list. Tell me why you got – okay, first off, why is he in your list, and then why is he maybe not a little bit higher on your list? I think he's the best offensive tackle prospect out there that we have a true shot of getting. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I thought about putting him a little bit higher, but I have, you know, I think that the, the top three guys I'm going to go with are all guys that can make immediate impact, where this guy's going to be really important in the long run. But I had to go with the guys who, were, who I felt like we have to have so they can make, you know, do something as freshmen. Okay, that's an, and that's a really fair point. The fact that he's probably not a plug-and-play year one starter because arms of line right now is pretty set for next year. Uh, or at least not said. There's it's, there's some flux there, but the tackle positions. He's a true offensive tackle, and those I would say the tackle positions are pretty set, right? Yeah. Like I'd be I'd be shocked. I'd be I I would like I mean I would be just blown away if Andrew Thomas didn't start next year. And I think you know honestly Isaiah Wilson. If you go back and watch him as the year goes on, he became a stud for us as the year went on. There were some moments early on where he was kind of getting his feet under him, but he really really came on strong. So I'd be shocked if. Either of those guys did not start next year. But here's what I would say. I have Darnell Wright at number two. Uh, I get what you're saying, but my point is not so much about next year. It's about the year after. Uh, because while we went over earlier, like when we talked about Clay Webb, how we signed five five-star prospects at this point already through the last four cycles. We've run in a ton of lead offensive linemen. But think about it, dude. Most of those guys have been interior prospects, haven't they? They have. Like, we only have one true offensive tackle among those five five-stars. I mean, you've got Isaiah Wilson who was a five-star. He was the guy, kind of the big the big name that kind of started it all. 
And Andrew Thomas has been like he's played at a five star level since he's been here, but he was not a five star coming out of high school. He was a high four star, but he wasn't a five star. Uh, now Cade Mays can play tackle. He showed that this year. I personally like Cade Mays better at guard. He can play both. So if you want to throw him in there, that's fine. So you can say two of those five of those five five stars are maybe offensive tackle prospects. But then the other guys you're talking about, you're talking about uh, Jamari Salyer, you're talking about Trey Hill. Uh, those guys are, and, you know, I guess what, Ben Cleveland, uh, those guys are good, uh, and, and they're awesome, but they're interior prospects. Once Andrew Thomas, because I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, Andrew Thomas is gone after this year, barring injury. Do you agree? Yeah. Like, he's gone, man. Like, I, I don't see any way Andrew Thomas stays for his senior year. I just don't see it. So if Andrew Thomas is gone after his senior, after his junior year, who do we have to play left tackle? Condon? Right. Owen Condon? Are you, are you comfortable with that right now? No, not at all. And we don't know because we haven't seen much of Condon, but like, and then, he, and then you don't want to have to rely on a true freshman to come in. Yeah, you don't want to exactly. You don't want. I mean, we could get a guy in the twenty class, but like, do you really want to? Right? Do you want to rely on a true freshman? Do you want to play a guy like Cade Mays who who can play left tackle, but I don't think that's his best position. Do you want to have to force him to play a position like that, like we had in our in year one or Kirby when you had guys like Tyler Catalina who wasn't as bad as he looked, but he was playing out of position. Um, so if you get a guy like Darnell Wright in here this year, kind of tutor in year one, and he's ready to plug and play in year two potentially at that left tackle position, I think he's a true left tackle. Now, Evan Neal's a guy who's also an offensive tackle prospect who was in here on official visit um, this week, and he's from IMG. He was here with Trey Sanders and, and uh, Nolan Smith. Um, but, dude, I mean, Evan Neal's like 6'7", 350 pounds. He's more of an Isaiah Wilson right tackle prospect to me. I don't think he can play left tackle. But we need a, a true elite left tackle prospect. Maybe Owen Condon can grow into that. He wasn't as highly rated coming out of high school. His, he needed some work on his frame. He's more of a three-star. He's got, he's got a good body, a good frame. He needs to add weight to it and get stronger and better. Um, and maybe he can do it. I mean, I, I trust Sam Pittman to develop guys. But if you can get a guy like Darnell Wright in there, whew, in competition. I mean, you got to have competition there. So that's my case for him to be at number two or a little bit higher in the list. But I get where you're coming from that he's not going to make an impact right away. That, that also makes sense. Um, what about Darnell Wright? How comfortable do you feel in saying that we have a shot to land him? Because Tennessee has been the team that has been mentioned most prominently with him. But Sam Pittman was there on Sunday uh, afternoon. Uh, we're making a push here. He's going to come in for an official visit. Like, where do you, where do you, how do you feel about that? I have to go with like a 2.5 because I think, I think we're, it's growing more and more. Um, you know, I think Tennessee's losing a little steam and we're picking up steam, especially, you know, with what we can show him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it comes down to do you truly want to be put in the pros by a great coach or do you just want to try to play early and hopefully that's enough to get you in the league? Yeah, it's, it's hard. To, this is the one that I have a hard time reading because like we haven't been like completely out of the picture with him, but we haven't been like prominently mentioned in his picture for a while. And it's been really, really last month or so down the stretch here that we've really gotten uh, more heavily involved, at least publicly more heavily involved. There's been more talk about us being in in the picture for him. Uh, Tennessee was in there for a while. You're right. It seems they might they might potentially be fading, but I, they still might be the favorite here. I think we have a shot. I'm not ready to say that I feel great about it. I'm gonna put it at a two. Uh, I'm not. I will never count Sam Pittman out. I just think it. You know, if you look at it, maybe he looks at our at our depth chart and he doesn't see the, the the immediate playing time. He goes to Tennessee right now and he starts right away because you know they they they've had some issues over there with with the what was it his name uh, Smith. What's that? Trey Smith. Trey Smith. Yeah, Trey Smith. I mean, he's. I mean, he's never gonna play again, right? I mean, it. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't look like. It. Yeah, it doesn't look like. It. So they need a left tackle right away. So maybe that's appealing to him. I don't know. I think it depends on for him. Like, do you want to? Is it? What's more important to you, playing right away or playing for championships and being tutored by one of the best offensive line coaches in the game? 
Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his mind. That's why it's so hard to predict with these with these young guys. Like what? What? Because you don't know what's important for this guy versus that guy. Because they all have different priorities. But I think we have a shot. You know, by, by virtue of the fact that Sam Pittman was there on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I mean that he's not going to allow that. I mean, Wright wouldn't have him up there if he wasn't seriously considering us. So I think we have a shot, but I just don't know if I would consider us uh, leading or anything like that. That at this point, so I'm going to go with the two. Uh, all right, who you got coming in number three? Oh, number three is where I come in with uh, Jaden Hazelwood. All right, Jaden Hazelwood. Okay, see, I have him down. I mean, we're close. I have him at number four on my list. Why do you got him at three? Why is he above Wright? For you. Um, because I think he's just a difference maker. I mean, you see some of these really good teams, uh, you know, especially look at Alabama, the difference, especially. I mean, you know, there's the what the receivers could do and get creating separation and things like that. I think he's just a complete game changer. And at the same time, teams have to focus on him so much that I think it will open it up for other people, especially if he's gaining double teams, things like that. You're going to have someone else in a single team or single coverage. I like the adjectives you use to describe him, man. Uh, game changer and difference maker, because that's exactly what he is, right? I mean, that's... he is, and, he, and he's he, like I said, he's like AJ. So he, teams are gonna have to game plan for. Him. They're gonna have to always have safety over the top. So it's gonna lead someone, especially if you have a great slot receiver. It's gonna make the field so much more open for someone like that. He is potentially that true number one wide receiver we've been looking for. Exactly. I mean, Sean against Bama in the second half, we didn't have a true number one guy who could get open or we could throw the ball to and know there's a great chance that he is going to get it. And don't get me wrong, guys. I love our wide receiver group. We have some great players that in that in that room, like some really good players. I think I think that uh, Holloman, stuff, yeah. yeah, Holloman's on the on the verge of, of busting out and being potentially that number one guy. I think he has the ability to do that as he continues to grow. Ridley's a really solid player. We all know that. Miko's as explosive as it gets. Uh, Tyler Simmons fills his role, and let's not forget about Demetrius Robertson. Uh, he didn't factor in this year, but he's he was coming in, he came in late, had to learn the system. That guy shows all the talent in the world. So I love our room there. But do we have that true number one game changer right now? I don't think we do. I'm not sure that we do. I'm not convinced. Well, we see like what Clemson has, right? That's, and like like where is our Jerry Judy? Yeah, right. We, like, don't have one. we don't have a guy like that. Hazelwood has the potential to be that guy. Um, you, you can't say it for a fact, 100%, until he gets on the field and does it at the college level. But he has every skill to be able to be that guy. Now, will we use him appropriately? I don't know, and I think that's the question he's had all along. I had a question on the mailbag last week about you know people being frustrated with uh, with how he's played the situation, and uh, he's kind of looking for attention. I, that's not my read on Hazelwood. My read on Hazelwood is like he legitimately was concerned about how we would use him in the offense. That's my read on him. I, I don't think it was like him looking for attention, you know, decommitting and, and going visiting Miami and this and that. And maybe he was. I don't know. I'm not in the guy's head. Just the way I see it, I think he was legitimately concerned about our offensive scheme and how we would feature him and, and prepare him to get ready for the next level. Um, but like, I think he is that guy. I think he can be that good. I mean, he's about, almost 6'3", about 6'2 and a half, 6'3", 195, 200 pounds. Now, he's not a burner. Like He's not that kind of guy, but he's just going to leave you in the dust. But, oh, my God. Does he have maybe the best boss goes I've seen since I don't want to say since AJ I and mean, that's put so much pressure on the guy. I mean, he but he has very, some he has elite ball skills. To me, he's a mixture of AJ and Julio. He's stronger than AJ, but he also has that deceptive speed like AJ. He does have deceptive game speed. I mean, he, like his forty time, he'll put about a four six, which is not bad. It's just not like elite, you know, like breakaway speed. It's not like Miko Hardman's speed or Demetrius Robertson's speed, which is okay because he does other things well. I mean. The way he uses his route running ability and his, the fluidity he has in his game to create separation is almost uncanny. And he has just ridiculous body control in the air. He uses his body in a way to shield defenders that you almost can't teach. 
So he's going out blocking. It's like you know, like Antonio Gates used to do with the Chargers when he was a, when he was an elite tight end. Just block out guys. It's kind of like what JJ Arcega Whiteside does with Stanford. He does. If you guys watch him play, he just blocks people out, and they can't, you really can't stop it. And that's what Hazelwood does. He has strong, elite hands. His ball skills are just out of this world. Um, he is a game changing type guy. Um, so you have a number three. I can't argue that man. Hey, I want him higher in this list. I mean, like I said, the reason I put him higher is I think he can make the immediate impact. He absolutely can. He absolutely can. And I would also say one more thing to him. You kind of mentioned this as well. Like he could like talking about him being that number one receiver. He, but that's what we need to complement our ground game. That's the next step in our offense is to have that number one receiver that complements the ground game. Like you said, like we're. They can't always load the box, right? Because you throw, you get Jaden Hazelwood one-on-one coverage, dude, he's going to beat you every time or 99% of the time. And then, okay, well, if, if J.J. Holloman keeps coming on, all right, so you keep you keep uh, you bracket coverage Jaden. Well, if you do that, then you got you got man coverage there with, with Holloman or Demetrius Robertson. And I like our chances there, right? So he, he open, he'll open up. He has the potential to open up our offense in ways that has not been opened up uh, since Kirby Smart's been here, he has a chance to be the number one, the number one wide receiver to complement the ground game. He, he does. I mean, he's just a flat-out baller, man. He's number six overall. Uh, it's just so good, man. Uh, but I have him at number four just because of some other guys. I, I, Darnell Wright, I just think that is more of a position of need for us. Uh, and I don't want to spoil the other ones, but I'll give that here in a second. But what's your uh, confidence level here on landing Hazel? Because see, we had it, he was committed to us for about a year. Then he decommits, and then it didn't look good for a while. We're trying to get back in this picture slowly but surely, Curse. How do you feel here about a week and a half before signing day? I'm going to go with a three because I think the biggest thing is he knows what we have. You know, we have a great relationship with him. And the fact, the thing that stands out the most to me is that no one else really jumped off the pages at him. You know, he didn't commit right away to anyone else. Right. Um, he's allowed us to stay in the game. And in the end, I think our long, our long built relationship will win out. Yeah, I mean, the two other schools you've heard mentioned most primarily with him are, well, for, first it was Oklahoma, for obvious reasons. You know, they throw the ball, you know, 97 times a game. Um, they have great quarterbacks, back-to-back Heisman winners, but they're but Kyler Murray would not be playing for them in about five weeks. Um, and then you hear Miami for a while, right? And I never understood the Miami thing, because what we always, and he basically said it himself, like, he would do interviews and talk about, like, you know, what's going on with Georgia. He's like, you know, I just don't, like, he even said before the season, I want to wait and I want to see what, their offense is going to look like. I want to see what they do this year. Uh, so basically, he was looking to see like what we're going to run, how we're going to feature receivers and things of that nature. And when he didn't really love what he saw, he knows that we're still kind of a run-heavy offense. And we opened up a little bit more this year. We're still more run-heavy than anything. I think that kind of uh, concerned him. But my, my, my issue with Miami is like, well, if that's what you're concerned about with us, why in the world are you looking at Miami? Because they any different than us? No, that has no quarterback. No quarterback. Their quarterback situation is a disaster. I mean, Borland almost got Mark Rick fired. At least had people calling for it said this year because the quarterback situation was just so disastrous and mismanaged this year. And their offense, in my opinion, is even more conservative than ours. I mean, guys, we 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 had Mark Rick for fifteen years. Like we know what kind of offense the guy runs, right? Yeah. Like it's no more you know fun and gun than what we run. It's really not. So I just never quite understood. What he was talking about, and talking about taking shots. I mean, we had like a it's like a top ten yards per attempt uh, passing offense this year. Now we didn't throw it as much as a lot of other teams, most other teams. But when we did, we were taking shots downfield. He'll get those opportunities. So I just never understood the Miami thing. I I actually understood Oklahoma more than Miami. I get Oklahoma because they do throw the ball and you get you get featured with Miami. How's that any different than what we've got? Other than the fact that we have a much better situation at quarterback, a much better situation in the offensive line and ground game to compliment you, get you more one on one coverage that looks outside. So I never quite got that. Uh, but it seems like we're trending here, right? We're getting back into this thing. Um, and maybe, yeah. And 
Like, it's almost like he feels, like, it seems like, I don't know, because I don't know the kid, but it seems like he's kind of remembering, kind of just figuring out, hey, there was a reason I was committed to Georgia for, like, a year, right? And so those things are starting to come back, and I, and I think that we're, we're doing a good job of selling him, like, hey, you, can, you know, we haven't opened up as much, but it's because we haven't had a guy like you. You can be that guy to allow us to do those kind of things. So right now I'm with you, man. I think I'm, I'm going to say uh, I feel pretty good here at a three for us to get him back in the fold. I don't think it's a done deal by any stretch of imagination. He'll be here uh, over the weekend for his final official visit. From what I understand, Kirby and company will be going in-home on Thursday right before he comes in for his official visit. So with the last in-home before the official visit and the last official visit before he signs on the 19th, so as an early enrollee. So I uh, I feel pretty good. Not 100%, but I feel pretty good here. All right, who you got coming in? Now we get down to our top two here. I got a feeling I, I know who one of them is. Who uh, who's the other guy? Who's coming in number two? Uh, number two, I'm going with Trey Sanders, and I okay. think the biggest reason is, I mean, he, he's like like Hazelwood, he's a complete game changer. The fact is, you know, there's a chance we could lose two running backs this off season, right? And we don't know what Zeus is going to be like. So we just don't know. Exactly. So with that right now, the only two that you can be really, I mean, you don't know what Harry Ann's going to do. Uh, Holyfield, you know, he could, he could be gone. So the only two that you can truly count on actually being here next year is Swift and Cook. And so I think that with the way we well, like Well, going to be here. We just don't know what he's going to look like at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's well that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and so I think that we need him as a position need, and I think that he would flourish in our offense. And, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, as a true freshman, I still think he'd get a lot of carries. I like everything you said, man. I agree with it. Um, look, this uh, this guy is – he's elite, man. And, look, I know everyone's to sit here and say, oh, it's easy to say this now. No, you guys go go back and listen to the tapes, man. I've been saying this since the, uh, Emory like, committed to us back in whatever time that was. Emory was a really good running back. He is a really good running back. I've said since day one, Trey Sanders was better. Have I not, Curtis? Have I not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there was ever a question if Sanders was better. Yeah. I think we were just trying to be happy. I just don't want people to think, well, you're just saying that because Emory, if, if Emory was still committed, you wouldn't say Sanders is better. Like, no, I would because I did say that. Uh, and I'm just telling you guys, Trey Sanders is the number one running back in this country that I've seen coming out of high school. At least the tape that I've seen from these guys, Trey Sanders is – I would say almost head and shoulders above better than, than anyone else right now. I think he's a clear number one running back in this class. He's number five overall in the 247 composite, six, about six foot, 214, 215 pounds, right around that range. If you saw a picture of this dude when he was here this weekend uh, and putting on the gear, he looked jacked up, man. Like, bigger than I thought, honestly. Now, he's not Elijah Holyfield jacked up, but he's got he's got some, some size to him. Um, so, I mean, this guy, he is legit, man. He is such a fluid athlete. I mean, he is the, the total package at running back. He's fluid. He's got great vision, great acceleration, elite speed, breakaway type speed, can make you miss in the hole, uh, can run with power, though, too. He's He truly is the total package. Great balance. I mean, he is what you want at running back. Uh, and uh, we all know what our identity is under Kirby Smart. It's to be tough, physical, run the football. And like you said, Kurt, there's a very good chance, man, that two of our top three backs from this last year in Holyfield and Harrion are going to be gone. Like, I, I feel pretty strongly saying that Harrion's likely going to be gone, right? Yeah, I would like – I would think so. To transfer, probably. And I don't know that for sure. I hate putting that out there. I just I, – you kind of look at the situation you feel like there's a chance, good chance that might happen. In Holyfield, I don't know. But the fact that we're taking two running backs in this class right now, it looks like that we're strong trying to take two running backs – does that not at least lead you to believe that Holyfield, like our coaches might at least think that he might be leaning towards going pro? Exactly. That's the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, because for a while it was just we were going to take one running back. Now we're just going after – we already got Kenny McIntosh in the fold. Now we're still going after Trey Sanders. 
that makes that leads me to believe that our coaches have some idea that Holyfield might not be coming back. And now he's probably waiting on his draft his draft grade, but there's still a, there's a chance. I hope he's back next year, but there's a chance he might not be. A uh, pretty decent chance he might not be. So you're right. That leaves us with with Swift, who we know is a baller. Then you've got Zamir White, who's coming back off of injury, who who was so good coming out of high school. But like you know, and I I, I have every faith in the world this guy's gonna work his tail off to be back to 100. percent But we just don't know. It's hard when you come back from two ACLs like that on opposite knees. It's tough. And you got James Cook, but does James Cook kind of fit the profile of a guy like Holyfield, Kurt? No, not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he can run between the tackles. I just don't know if he's gonna be as effective doing that as a guy like Holyfield, or a guy like Trey Sanders could potentially be. Uh, so I think Trey Sanders is, is just so elite, man. And you guys know what we do, and, and like he just fits our identity. I mean, he is he's a stud. And on top of the fact how good he is, is really it, he's coming down to a, a Georgia Alabama battle, right? And I do not want to, have to play against him. Do you? No. It's not only do I do I want to have him to to employ him against Alabama. I don't want to, have to play against him if he does go to Alabama. He's a really good player. He really is. Um, so I, I'm really high on this guy, man. Uh, the reason I have him, and I have a number three. You have him at two. I have Darnell Wright ahead of Sanders. And I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think Sanders is, uh, like you're kind of saying, I, I think he's potentially a, a day one impact type guy, right? Yeah. So I see why you would have a number two. I just think offensive tackle for us is a bigger need, a, le- a true left tackle here in about a year or so. Not that we don't need elite running backs. We do. and So it's kind of a toss-up for me between two and three there with Wright and Sanders. I'm still just a believer that you win and lose games in the SEC in the trenches, and you have to have a, you have to have elite offensive line play. So I just kind of always err on the side of the the, the, the big hog mollies up front. But Sanders, man, I cannot, I cannot really argue much with you having the number two because he is elite. Um, what is your feeling on this right now? We had him in for an official visit. It, looked like it went really well. There was, you know, when when basically what happened here, we were involved with him heavily. Emory commits, and so we kind of fall off with Sanders. Then Emory decommits, and now we tra- we got back in it with Sanders, so things started heat up again. But there was a period of time there was kind of some downtime in our relationship. So we've kind of been building back on that, um, and uh, we've made some headway, it seems like. But where do you feel like we stand right now a week and a half before signing day? Um, I say, you know, I hate to use the halves, but I have to go with the two and a half. I think it helps that his final visit is not Alabama; that he's actually go somewhere different than the than us two. I'm glad it's not Alabama too. Uh, absolutely. You know what, dude? I I just I this is not based on anything logical. I I mean, I've read I've read some good stuff. Everything I'm hearing is really solid. A lot of times you hear the good stuff coming out of official visits, right? Rarely do you hear like, "Oh, the official visit went terribly," you know. Like you don't really ever hear that, so I don't know how much credence to put into that. But I, I'm getting some good vibes. Everything I'm reading is very positive. Um, he's put out some very positive stuff, but again, they, these guys troll a lot, so it's hard to know. I just have a feeling here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not, certainly not like a, a done deal feeling, but I'm gonna go with a three. I think I think we get him. I really do. I know Alabama is Alabama, and, and, and you can't wrong go wrong with either university, really, honestly. Um, if, from a decision standpoint, but let's look at what Alabama's done offensively. They don't feature the run game like they used to, do they? No, not at all. From what you've been hearing, is there the vibe hasn't been with Alabama? Yeah, and that that, that is true too. I mean, you hear that because it was Bama and Bama, Bama for a while, especially after Emory committed to us. But it seems like it's trending away from like Bama's maybe trending slightly down, while we're kind of trending slightly, you know, slightly you know, up. What you saw with you, we talked about with Wright in Tennessee. Yeah, it it does kind of you kind of get that feel to it, but. Like if you're if you try to compare those two schools, I mean, Bama's a great university. I mean, they're a great football program. They are. I mean, God. I mean, Jesus. We all know that. But again, like they're for all 
the ways that they change their offense for for the good. And like you know, obviously you can sell receivers on that. They're throwing the ball more. You sell quarterbacks on that. Throwing the ball more, all that. They're not featuring the run game like they have in the past. We still are. I mean, that's not changing. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And look at the offensive line that we're bringing in. I mean, mm. and then you got a guy like Nolan uh, Nolan Smith, who is a teammate of his, IMG, who is here on the official visit with him and is always in his ear. That can't hurt, right? Yeah, that certainly can't hurt. Uh, all right, now I think you and I have the same guy as our number one prospect on our wish list. Uh, Nicobe Dean, is that right? Is that yeah, no question about it. You know, even all right, know, why like, no question about it? Well, I think the thing you know, first of all, say people you know say we had sour grapes when we you know we were not that upset when Popo went to Auburn <laughs> and we were also about Nicobe Dean. Like that's just sour grapes. No, I've always no. believed that Nicobe Dean was the better between the oh, two. Oh, and by the way, he's actually moved up ahead of Popo in the two four seven composite. Yeah, it's now. like everyone else is you know Finally starting to agree, that, yeah. agree with us. And I think the biggest thing is you know the inside linebacker position is still up for grabs with Tyndall and Walker, which I think Tyndall is going to you know secure one but it, i mean it's up for grabs and even this say those two secure spots we've shown that we will rotate guys in Keep and out fresh. So, exactly so it, it, i think that no matter what he's gonna find a way on this field and i think that he is the legitimate you know a legitimate alpha male out there for us 100 percent. i agree with everything you said there great job on, on breaking that down um Look, he, I mentioned he's actually moved ahead of Owen Popo in the 247 ratings. He's number 14 overall nationally right now. The reason I have him at number one, now, is he like, maybe, is his ceiling as high as a prospect, a guy like Trey Sanders or a guy like Jaden Hazelwood, maybe? Like, maybe not. Not, 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 yeah, I don't think that he... Like, like he's, he's not ranked as high as Sanders or Darnell Wright or Jaden Hazelwood, for that matter. No, the, Wright, Sanders, and Hazelwood are all in the top 10 nationally. Uh, and Dean's not far behind. He's 14, but he's like, you look at where he's ranked, you'd be like, well, why, is the, why do you have the number 14 prospect ahead of the number 10, number 5, number 6 prospect, right? Yeah. But for me, it's kind of what you said. It's it's honestly, the reason I have him number 1 is because it's our biggest position of need combined with the elite talent that he brings to the table. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like To me, it's just, like that is clearly, and we talked about it all season long, that that is clearly our biggest position of need i mean we had guys that worked their tails off man i appreciate everything they did for us i really do but we just did not have elite talent who was ready to make ready to be in that rotation this year i mean monty rice was a guy i think is a good player like is he even remotely on the same level as nicobe dean as an, as an athlete no i mean he's gonna have, have a, he's gonna have a hard enough time uh, holding just being in the rotation at all yeah. uh i i mean i and i think rice is a good player but i mean i i think tyndall is long term has a much higher ceiling. Quay Walker, long-term, has a significantly higher ceiling. Nicobe Dean, long-term, has a significantly higher ceiling. And I know you would say, well, why were those guys playing over Rice this year? Because they were young and didn't know what to do. That's why. Like, the talent is, there's, there's no question that those guys are more physically gifted than Monty Rice. Now, Rice is probably, he can, you can make the argument he's better between the tackles, but the way that college football is training, you got to be able to play in space, and, and those other guys can. And I'm not sure that's really where Rice thrives. Now, he'll have a role in the team, I just don't think his ceiling's nearly as high as a guy like Tyndall or Walker or Dean. And so, and look, we're going to, like, that is just very simply, it, uh, do you agree with me that's the biggest position of need on the entire team? Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and so you look at that and you combine the fact that Kobe Dean is an elite top 15 level talent. I mean, he's number one for me for that reason. I mean, we just got, we got to upgrade that position. We've got to if we want to be, beat the big boys. I mean, we've beaten big boys, but if we want to win national title, we've got to upgrade that position. And, we, and Kirby knows it. I mean, we know that, guys. And Dean is that guy. I mean, he's he's kind of sawed off. Kind of reminds me of Roquan in a way. He's six foot. He's actually bigger than Roquan coming to high, coming out of high school. He's at 220 right now. 
Um, at least that's his most recent measures that I got. But he showed out uh, at the opening uh, with his measurables, his 40, his, his vertical jump. I mean, uh, you mentioned Owen Popo rated a little bit higher uh, uh, than Dean in the spark ratings, but Dean was right there. I mean, he was just right there, just a, a, a slight bit under Popo. But Dean is a true inside linebacker prospect. And this guy has the instincts to play that position. He's a thumper. He's got great speed. He'll chase you down from the backside. Um, just, God, he's an elite athlete that can really actually thump you too. And those guys are rare. I really, really like him. He's got the ability to rush the passer as well. Uh, so to me, he's the guy that above all these guys, I want all of them. I want all of them. But if I had to pick one, I think N'Kobe Dean is the one I, that I'm wishing for more than any of them. Position need combined with that elite talent. Uh, all right, Kerb. So that's our wish list there. You have him go through and tell me if I'm wrong. You had... Uh, number five, you had Tyreek Stevenson. Number four, Darnell Wright. Number three, Jaden Hazelwood. Number two, Trey Sanders. And number one, Nicobe Dean. While I, on the other hand, was similar in a lot of ways. I had Tyreek Stevenson, number five. But I had Hazelwood, number four. Sanders, number three. Wright, number two. Got to have that offensive line. And then Nicobe Dean coming in at number one. Um, real quick, Kurt, just a couple other things before we wrap up the show here. Uh, we got a guy. We had a guy coming in uh, last weekend on an official visit, all the way from Hawaii, from the Pacific. Uh, this guy, this quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. What do you make of him as a prospect? Is this a guy that that you really hope that we end up landing? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really on the Plumley train. Um, I just don't know. I don't. I don't. Know I think we're serious. trying to take two. Yeah, but I agree. I just don't know how serious you know someone is when they could probably go to school at UCF and actually have a legitimate shot at starting. We released his top three, and his top three, which was weird because he did it while on while, while on official visit. Yeah, so his top three was UCF, USC, and Georgia. Um, he is a, I mean, he's a small dude. He's five eleven, one eighty five, according to two four seven. He kind of his game. I watching his tape. It kind of reminds me of a a little bit smaller Baker Mayfield, honestly. I mean, Mayfield coming out of high school was 6'1", 190. Um, so he's a little bit bigger, but not much bigger. Now, Mayfield got thicker as, as time went on and put on some weight, some good weight. But like, I, I think the, the way they can throw from different trajectories, they're mobile in the pocket, they can tuck it and run, they're accurate, uh, kind of has a little swaggy plays. So it kind of reminds of Baker Mayfield to a degree. I'm not saying he's Baker Mayfield, but he kind of has that type of game. You know what I'm saying? Um, look, I don't know. Like, it, this was a tough one to read because we kind of just got involved. We offered him a couple of weeks ago. Um, now the, I think the obvious place you're going to go would be UCF, right? Yeah. Cause he's, he's almost like a spinning image of, of, um, uh, McKenzie Milton, their quarterback whose leg fell off. Just, uh, God bless so I hope he's okay. But I mean, that was a brutal injury. Um, but, uh, I think he could really thrive that type of offense. Uh, that seems to be kind of quarterback that they look for there. USC is obviously much closer to home being there on the West coast. But like, is that a situation you really want to go into when Clay Helton basically had to fire everyone on his staff? Uh, and now he does bring in Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury is on his coordinator of Johnny Manziel fame, obviously. So maybe he can, you know he can, they can kind of sum on that. But I, I have heard that he's actually very, very interested in playing the SEC. He wants to test himself against the best. And if you're if you want to win championships and you want to you want to play in the SEC against the best, like Georgia's the landing spot. Um, but it's again it's, with these guys, you don't know what their priorities are. Like what is going through their head? Is it all about playing early? Is it about winning championships? Like what? Like, you just don't know. Is he scared of competition? Or is competition? Do you thrive on that? You just don't know. Um, but I like the guy. Honestly, I really like what I saw out of his tape. Now I haven't seen him live or anything, but I take him. If we're gonna take two quarterbacks, I really like Plumlee too. I, I, I honestly like it's weird. Like I think the fact that we we, we signed Justin Fields last year. The two the, we've got Plumley committed right now. Now we're going strongly after Dylan Gabriel, who's also a dual threat, just like Plum, Plumley. Do you not see a trend here, Kurt? 
moving uh, yeah. forward. It, it very it very much seems like moving forward that we have a plan here that we want to move to a more dual threat type quarterback, at least a guy that has mobility. I, I think that's what we'd love to do. But right now, Fromm's just not allowing that to happen because of the way he's playing. Because uh, we just have a rare, rare, rare dude at quarterback in Jake Fromm. What he's able to do from a pre-snap, post-snap, leadership types, all that stuff. His accuracy, uh, knowledge of the game, football IQ, all that stuff, all those things. He's just making it hard for us to actually go that route with while he's on uh, on campus right now. Uh, Bill Norton, we talked about him a, a little bit here before. Uh, the show, uh, he, he was a guy, he's uh, a high-level prospect from Tennessee, a four-star prospect that we got. We, we, he's been on board for about a year or so. Um, but there has been some talk the past couple weeks about how he might want to play offensive line on the next level. We've recruited him as a defensive lineman. So if he wanted to play offensive line, it probably wouldn't be with us. But he reconfirmed his commitment. Uh, says he's 100% super committed, I think is the quote. Uh, do you feel good about Norton? Is this a guy that, that you're good with staying, uh, keeping on board? Yes, like I was telling you earlier, as long as he stays on the defensive line, yes. Yeah, I think he's going to be more of a five-tech guy, that, that, that deep, the uh, three, four defensive end, kind of like what Ledbetter's been playing. That's kind of what we have uh, him p- uh, penciled in for. But, yeah, if, he's, if he plays defensive line, absolutely. I think he could be a really good five-tech guy for us there. Just the offensive line thing, I just don't think, no, that's probably not because we have higher-rated guys on our board at offensive line. Not defensive line necessarily, but offensive line, yes. Uh, all right, and last thing here, Kurt, before we go, man uh, – this is an interesting. It's always an interesting conversation when you're talking about the, any recruiting class. The number of prospects that a team is going to end up taking, because there's always, like, especially with Kirby, it seems like we have more guys every year that want to come. Like Rick Sanich is a guy, defensive tackle prospect, four-star guy from last cycle, who reportedly wanted to commit to us late in the process after he already committed to, uh, or as he was committed to South Carolina, but he waited too long and he ends up at South Carolina. So I think we we always have a situation where the end gets full. So how many guys do you think we end up taking in this class, Kurt? At least 25 or 20, 24, 25. I think it depends. Mm, how are we going to get there, man? That's what I'm – I I hope it, you're right. It's I think called that's, the uh, process. It's going to have to be because right now, like, we had 84 guys on scholarship this year. Now that's one under the 85 limit. We have 15 seniors leaving. So 15 seniors plus we had one extra spot from last year that we didn't fill. That's 16 spots right now. So to get to 24-25, we're going to have eight or nine guys either leave early or transfer. that Gibbs is no longer with the team. Yeah, Gibbs, Gibbs is a very likely – I mean, we haven't officially heard that news, but it's very likely he's not going to be the team. Harrion's a good – he's a transfer possibility. Holyfield Ridley might go pro. Really possibly going pro. I've heard Nada even mentioned as a potential yes. guy who, who might test the waters at least to kind of see what his draft grade is. Uh, then guys like, I don't know, um, Jaden Hunter. Natori Johnson. Natori Johnson Nate potentially. McBride. Trey Bishop. But I mean, there, there's gonna there's gonna have to be some attrition for us to get to 24 or 25. Yeah, 100. And, and I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Because literally right now we have 16 spots. If you look at the, the seniors departing, and we had one, we were one under the 85 limit last year. So it's gonna to, for us to get to 24, 25, we're gonna have to have eight to nine guys uh, leave the program one way or another here. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, so that remains to be seen how that's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, I, I hate having to make. I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions, but something's going to have to happen there. So I, I think 24 ish. I mean, I'd love to get to 25, but I'm 24 uh, ish, 23. I'd say 23 to 25, somewhere around there probably. But we'll see how that that ends up playing out. There's really no way for us to know because we just don't have that information. We can kind of speculate, which can be dangerous, but that's kind of all we can do. At this point, but uh, all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, checking in and tuning in today. Um, we'll be back with some uh, some uh, more talk later this week. We're looking at some of the coaching carousel moves here. Uh, 
uh, around the SEC, and obviously with our program as well, and kind of how that's going to impact us and what we might be looking at with the defense coordinator position. So check back in with us on our premium content on Podbean. Again, you can subscribe to that just by going to our Twitter account, at glory underscore UGA. Click on that link and just take care of all that stuff. It's a quick, easy process to uh, be able to access all of our stuff uh, for only $2 a month. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.